We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Frampton Nuttall endeavored to say the correct something, which should duly flatter the niece of the moment without unduly discounting the aunt that was to come. Beautiful line from the open window by Saki coming up today. Which way are we going? Out the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's nothing like a good defenestration story, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about, let's just start with walking through this story. Let's do a plot summary old school style, and then we'll jump into our discussion of it. So we open with our main character, Mr. Nuttle. Uh, he's new to this town, and he's being introduced to people of the town. And he's tracking down some nerve cure of, of some sort. I thought the story was going a totally different direction. Uh, but uh, it, his sister used to live here four years prior. So she's got these letters of introduction. Why don't you meet these people at the town? Get to know the people. It'll be fun. Eh? Uh, a little, little diehard reference. All right. And as he's getting to meet one, the uh, strong-willed niece Vera uh, comes down to to talk to him about the personal tragedy of her aunt. Like you need to know this, Mr. Nuttle. She she's been through a lot. Basically her brother and or no, yeah, her brothers and husband went out this window. Uh, why? I don't know. They go out the window. That's how, that's where they go for hunting is out the window and they never returned. Right. And, oh, this was three years ago. Your sister hasn't been here in four years. Okay. That's why you haven't heard this story and tells them all about this tragedy and how the aunt is like, I don't want to say crazy, but, you know, someone who leaves the window open every day, I don't know, seems seems very dedicated, very romantic, I guess. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. Idealistic, perhaps. Uh, only to be like, holy crap, there is the husband and brother suddenly. And so Mr. Nuttle is like, oh, my God, these people have been gone for three years. Are these ghosts? He splits right? He's terrified. And the aunt's totally like, oh, hey, hubby, so so glad you're back, as if it were no big deal. Well, as the guide, Mr. Nuttle, takes off, we hear the line basically that, oh, I'm sure it was the dog that scared them off. And we have this line that basically talks about how Vera was always uh, had a romance for short stories. Cut. Which, okay, the clues are there. And, and I realize not everyone was like, well, what, what does that mean? Maybe let's just kind of walk through what we think the interpretation is. So to me, this story has two twists. Okay, everybody talks about how there's one twist. To me, there's two twists here. Oh, two twists. A dually. I like it. All right, so hit me with the first one. This one might not be as strong, but it is absolutely a twist. Is you think the the husband and brothers are dead, right? The Vera is laying out the story, who is the strong-willed niece. <laughs> and the first twist is when you see them. And it means either it's kind of like a almost kind of like a Charles Dickens experience where all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, supernatural, right? Like these people are dead and they're come back to life or what, what the heck happened? Probably less likely that they're still alive. But but either way, you learn that that what you thought were three people who had passed away along with this dog are suddenly alive. 
Right. So we're put in this supernatural experience and it didn't feel that way at the beginning because there are no clues that this is going to be a supernatural story. So it kind of has you on your toes because I feel like just like Mr. Nuttle, uh, we're, we're put in a place that is trustworthy, right? We're, we're kind of supposed to believe everything up to this point in time. So why wouldn't we think that it is a supernatural story? If we left it at that, we would almost start to question of how reliable is, is this story being told to us, right? By this strong-willed Vera, essentially. And that's when the second twist happens, where that final line about Vera basically saying, oh, I'm sure he was scared of the dog, which there was no mention of the dog. So you know she's one a fibber, right? Like she's willing to lie. And then there's that quick line that says that she was, you know, had a penchant for romance short stories. And that's when you realize, to me, that's the second twist, where you realize, oh, actually, she made that whole story up. They probably never passed away three years ago. That whole thing was just a, a invention of her mind to mess with this guy who already has bad nerves, right? He's looking for the nerve cure and needs to rest probably. And that's when you realize, oh, this could be the shenanigans and mischievousness of a young child playing a trick on this visitor. They were only gone for the day and just came back, which is why the aunt was totally like, hey, hubby, as opposed to being super excited that they were returning you know, I think it was a little bit more natural, made more sense. And that's why he took off because because of this big fib. So I have two major questions of why is it a window and not a door? Or is it like a <laughs> French window door? Like, because I keep thinking, like my mind went to, um, you know, those uh, spoof movies they where they make fun of like scream horror movies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I, I just yeah, think yeah, of yeah. like these guys like each crawling in through a small window, like one leg at a time. And this guy sitting there and they're like, Oh, I'm trying to get in. And he's like, Oh my God, ghosts. And you know, he bolts out of here, you know, like, uh, in a, a old bugs, buggy cartoon, you know, road runner. Beep, beep, and, uh, or is it an actual like door? Like, they have the window-esque doors open. That's my first thing is I was trying to picture all of this in my head and it made it really funny. And second of all, what is it about when children feel like they have the upper hand that they always have this, not malicious so much, but as you said, this devious side to them that they like being able to pull one over on adults because they're usually the ones that are kind of, I guess, put in their place by adults. So it's nice to have that feeling as a kid to pull one over on your elders. And that's just uh, that that's kind of the crux of the story for me. So Vera knows that he has this nerve condition that he needs to rest. I don't know if he's jumpy or what. Do you think she was more willing to mess with him because of that? Like, what do you think? I guess my question is, what do you think Vera's intentions were? I think there's a couple different ways you could look at it. I mean, you could go a very stereotypical that something very common, I think, for children is lying, right? Once you learn how to lie as a child, it almost becomes second nature, right? I always used to tease my students and I'd say... If a teenager was talking, they're lying. <laughs> it's just something that is natural about, and again, it's not like it's malicious. It's just you naturally are embellishing or exaggerating, just little white lies. You know, N nothing has, um, you know, I think a malicious intent, but there's a kernel of truth wrapped in a whole bunch of lies. 
So maybe it's just that exploring the idea of of a teenager and their reluctance to hold on to the truth all the time. Or maybe it is something a little bit deeper that this girl is conniving and, you know, she likes, you know, messing with people, which is kind of a little bit evil-esque per se. Well, I, I would say there is, the, when we describe the word mischievousness, that, that is a pretty universal term. And there's a lot of psychology behind how children do try to mess with reality per se, because the first four or five years of a child's life, I'm going to speak about a general learning curve. It's not a universal thing. They're generally learning how the world works, right? You do this, you put food in your mouth, food never comes out. When guests come over, you greet them, you know, like, like just all these simple rules that we take for granted and do and don't think about. Well, psychologists talk about how they, they called it a reality testing, which, you know, we call it, we talk about the imagination of children, but it's, it's about testing those boundaries. And just because you're told all these things as children, you find out that parents sometimes are just saying things to protect you when you're young. There's things you don't need to be talking about or knowing about when you're a child. So when you go behind their back and you're trying to test reality in a sense, uh, it's all part of growing up and as a, as a very natural and healthy thing to do. So do I think it's evil? Ah, not in this situation. I do think that she's kind of learning about uh, people's people's abilities to react to story, to fears. There, There's almost... Um, I don't know if there's a moral to the story. You tell me, you tell me, you know, people out there listening right now, what you think the morals in the story in the comments. But I think there's an element of credibility here too, to Mr. Nuttall and like, should you be testing and trusting this, this young child who's telling you a story who probably is a little mischievous behind the scenes. Yeah, I think as, as, you know, a child, we like pulling pranks. A lot of times adults, they may not be, you know, as smart or they are smarter, but they have more experience. But a prank kind of pulls everybody down to the same level. Uh, I remember, and again, many people, you know, certain ages will not be able to, you know, appreciate this, but we used to have phones that didn't have caller ID and you didn't know who called. And so you could call a random number and mess with the person and they'd never know who you were. And pulling that prank gave you power over somebody that was innocent because it really didn't hurt anybody, but it felt good that you could mess with somebody in a, you know, innocent way. And I think that's kind of what Vera is doing here is she's pulling a little bit of a prank on the guy that she thinks might be a snooty old guy. Maybe he came off a little bit creepy and she's like, I'm going to get this guy. Watch this. <laughs> mm, that's a really good description of, of the power play. Right. Being able to bring them down to the same level. And even in the story, you have evidence of that where the younger brother that disappeared, if you recall, used to sing that song just to bug the aunt. Right. Just to get on the same level, to knock her down a peg, something that irritated her. He would just sing that song. So, yeah, absolutely. I can see how that is a way to kind of level the playing field of power, essentially. So the next time a cranky old man comes in your house, open a window. Tell him a ghost story. <laughs> or maybe if you open a window, that's how the cranky old man gets in the house. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh that, well, that, that's a whole different story, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Playlist down below of other short stories. And uh, I don't know. Should we do some more Saki stories, H.H. Monroe stories in the future? I'll tell you what. I'll leave a playlist down below. And you let us know in the comments if you think we should to populate that list. My name's been Una. Appreciate you spending some time with us today. Peace. Peace.